1: Greetings, geeks, and welcome to episode 78 of Wizards, the podcast guide to comics, the podcast where we re examine the 90s comic book boom through the pages of Wizard magazine. Still convinced that Joe Batarera is the most delicious sounding comic book artist on Wizards' top 10 list, since a double order of Cubert with a side of Bocciolo just doesn't sound appetizing at all. I'm Adam. Michael is not with us this episode, it's past his bedtime on the East Coast. But joining us tonight is an individual who knows a thing or two about comic books and can surely attest to the fact that knowing is half the battle. Speaking of battles, he's no stranger to the action found within the squared circle and just might suplex anyone who doesn't know the source material upon which the last decade of blockbuster superhero entertainment is based. From Knowing is Half the Podcast and the AE Double Back Podcast, it's Robert Clark Chan. How you doing? Good, wow. Wow, oh, thank you very much. Yeah, this is excellent. Very excited to have you. Now, here's the deal. Some of you might recall, originally, we invited the entire Knowing Is Half the Podcast crew to join us for episode 73. And weren't you know it, the only one who had an opening in their schedule at the time was Ray Stacatus. <laughs> the irony of it all being that on the two episodes of Knowing is Half the Podcast that dropped after his episode of Wizards was released, Yu-Chan loudly called Ray out for guesting on a Wizard Magazine podcast when he had never read an issue of Wizard in his life. This is a fact unknown to us at the time, for shame, Ray for shame. So we're glad to have you here with us, like all your geek cards on the table in plain sight. Look,
2: usually twice a week at least, I have the opportunity to publicly roast Ray in podcast format, on video. I don't need to do it on my downtime, it's like work now.
1: <laughs> Fair like, enough. Am
2: I naturally inclined to do it? Is it like in your career you find the thing that you're perfect at doing? Like, yes, obviously,
1: but... I
2: don't need to do it
1: for free. (laughs) All right. Well, we are ready to hear your origin story.
2: Okay, most of my origin story is just filled with rage and hate. So naturally, uh, you're going to find out about me by me calling someone else out uh, (laughs) their lack of nerd bona fides. I've calmed down a lot in the the intervening years. But yeah, like there's so many different flavors of nerddom. So it's okay if you didn't read Wizard, but I mean, I I don't see how you could have missed it. I started reading comics seriously in the fifth grade. A friend of mine was totally into the X-Men, so I started with, like, issue 196, I want to say. You know, like, the the glory days of Chris Claremont and all that. Just was a huge fan. Stayed with the X-Men primarily, and then got into the image years just off of them, you know, and then I just burnt out. Burnt out in like 92 or 3. And it was like maybe the third straight summer of, of crossover, maximal crossovers with 60 issues that you had to bounce all over the place to try and follow along. And I was like, wait, what am I doing with my life? So then I just left it all behind and then slowly started getting back into it with anything but superhero comics. I was hyped for the introduction of Image, bought all the number ones. Bought all the die-cut chromium covers with laser holographic special. And, yeah, it turns out uh, they didn't uh, finance my
1: retirement. Oh. i like been promised. I'm curious, of the Image founders, who were you the hottest on at the time when it launched? <sighs> Here's the thing. Like,
2: building up to it, I was a big Liefeld guy. I was a pretty big Jim Lee guy. I was into McFarlane because, like, I, I uh, got issue 300 of Amazing, and then just like was really into McFarland style, I realized later that it wasn't so much the art there as the writing. And so like you got David Michelin and Peter David. Peter David remains one of my favorite authors of all time. Mm -hmm. But then like um, uh, Dale Keown I was into because Peter David was writing The Hulk, and that was a great title. But then once Image debuted, pretty quickly I was like, "What, what is happening? Why are there no feet on Rob Liefeld's characters ever? <laughs> what? Why are there so many guns? Everyone has so many guns. There are more guns than hands. Why? Wh- the And the pouches. I just, all of a sudden, I just like, one morning I was like, this is absurd. But I was still a big fan of Sam Keith, remain to this day. And I started liking stuff like, yeah, Chris Bacallo. Bacallo? I don't actually know how to pronounce it. I would that. say
1: Bacallo. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, like Jay Lee, like the, the kind of that Chiascuro style he has, and just like a, a Mike McNola. So I got into like the, the more impressionistic kind of stuff, then did my time with Vertigo and, you know, all of that. There
1: you and- go. Well, that's what I was going to say. So you were a little bit older than me in that mm-hmm. period. So that's why I'm very curious to get your take as you kind of catch up what was going on with comics in this era. And comparing it, yeah, to to what you were really seeing. I do have to ask, though, with Wizard Magazine and your reading, what was the appeal to you? Did you have a favorite section? Did you have a favorite, you know, aspect of Wizard that drew you into buying? Were you an every month kind of guy? Not every month. I
2: I did buy it pretty regularly. I became a big fan of Toy Fair. When that, you know, split off, uh, like a Twisted Mega Theater was always a favorite of mine. And of course, yeah, like I was uh early twenties, a little bit younger, late teens, somewhere. And so like the snarky attitude, the like, hey, this is good. this is dumb, right? Eh, <laughs> was both perfect for my age and also that sort of Gen X heather's era you know just like everything sucks man you got to be real Uh, so yeah like i was really into the snarkiness and uh looking back on i'm like okay i i see that i get that i see where you're coming from like i've now that i've written for like websites that are basically do exactly the same thing you're like okay they're not because at the time, I'm like, oh, these godlike writers, they're so smart and intelligent and witty. This is like Dorothy Parker at the Algonquin Roundtable. And I'm like, oh, no, it's just a bunch of jerk asses laying around eating pizza in a you know, crappy little warehouse in New York, I'm sure. And, you know, like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. We all we all do the things that we do.
1: That is true. and I will say, you know, we uh we just spoke to a gentleman, uh, Mike Dolce, who used to work there and he's gone on to create his own comics. And that was specifically what he said was, "What you have to understand is we knew our audience was 14 year old boys. So we were just <laughs> indulging the 14 year old boy inside all of us. I mean, that's yeah. what it was. And so. there's nothing wrong with
2: that. So no. long, oh. That's why. But that's why, like, yeah, it's, at some point, most people just they just stop because your 14 year old self. Not your best self. It really is. That's very isn't. true.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, but if there was a stand-up 14-year-old, he'd certainly be getting some civic award and appear in the local paper, and somebody would be writing in to say, oh, I know what this boy is really about. Yes. They would <laughs> decry <laughs> his his fame. Uh, and so what we are going to do is check out actually the letters that were being received by Wizard. We are going to open up Willie Lumpkin's mailbag. All right, so our first letter here uh, is actually the Bunny Award letter for Best Correspondence uh, each month that Jim McLaughlin would award. And this is Matt Jagerliner of Dubuque, Iowa. I don't know how to sell the
2: Jager, Jager,
1: jigger,
2: Jagerliner. Jager. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that's
1: right. You got it. Uh, although I will say his AOL address is Gambit6989, which is pretty fantastic. <laughs> 6989, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Does
2: that mean that he was born in 1989, so he was like four when he wrote oh, it's like to say that. Oh, hard 69, dude. That's how I rock.
1: <laughs> but here is what Matt had to say. Dear Jimbo, if you were stranded on the proverbial desert island but could somehow get three monthly comic subscriptions, which ones would you choose and why? Remember, these subscriptions would be the only things to keep you sane while stranded there. Me, I'd want Batman Chronicles, I have never heard of that, JLA, and Uncanny X-Men. I really like Batman, and Chronicles kicks booty! JLA? It needs no explanation. It's one of the best books around, and I've always liked the X-Men. And now that Chris Bocciolo is coming on board as artist, I think that it'll be my favorite book of all. So... What would you choose? So this is what Jim McLaughlin responds. Hmm. There are a ton of comics I really like, but narrowing it down to three, I have to go with Savage Dragon, Hitman, and Sandman Mystery Theater. You can't get more 90s than that lineup. That's... <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. I was a big fan of Larson for a little while, too. Then it turns out he's a huge dick. <laughs> He he definitely got the snark on his side. In fact, Willie Bruce West, a friend of ours, he was online saying, where are all the Larson fans at? Savage Dragon? Like, who are these people that are fans? I've never talked to one. And then we put it out on social media. We're like, yeah. Like, in all the time we've been doing the show, everybody's like, if they love Joe Manorera, they're like, he's the best. We love him. And a million people pile on. And Eric Larson? Nobody's there to sing his praises. And one guy comes on, he's like, no, man, I'm all about Eric Larson. Savage Dragon forever. It was one guy. (laughs) But also,
2: Savage Dragon, didn't it go like 300 issues? It's still going. That's the thing. People are there somebody's buying it yeah it silent majority
1: <laughs> but here is the justification according to jim mclaughlin the dragon gives me bizarre gonzo crazy stuff every month with a surprising dose of what i can only call touching real life drama hitman is hilarious and makes me laugh and wince at the same time with its psycho funny violence and sandman mystery theater is the best love story going the relationship between wesley dodds and diane belmont is central to the book and any superhero type stuff is strictly the backdrop and yes gentle reader we now like to see your three desert island comics send in your letters and we'll run them here and remember your reasons why are what we really want to see so chan mm. have you given this any thought what would your three desert island subscriptions
2: be honestly sandman mystery theater is a solid one uh matt wagner is another one of my favorite writers and artists and i would almost put a grendel on that list of the top three that's how much i uh, love matt wagner Straight up monthlies, though, I mean, I think Sandman, like Sandman is uh, remains one of the greatest and rereadable. So I would I would definitely put that on there. I think maybe Bone. I feel like Bone, I, I'm thinking in terms of like rereadability, you're only getting three that are going to last you. And, um, you know, your X Men's and whatnots and the the ones that you go to for story like, oh, what's going to happen? Are Rogue and Gambit going to get together kind of things? Like, they don't hold up if uh, on uh, massive rereadings. But uh, like, I read Bone to my kid and it's really cool. And the story still holds up. It's like it is enjoyable, but, it, and it's about the characters. The third one, I'm going to flip it because uh, the question is, what are the ones to keep you sane? One that would absolutely drive me insane and consequently, I think might help uh, thereby keep me sane because you can't have too much of a good thing. I would go with uh, uh, Dave Sims Cerberus. Ooh, wow. Uh, because that one gets nuts and he gets real weird and it gets super misogynistic and the comic gets Horrible, truly horrible. But also, it's kind of a window into insanity. And I feel like, on a stranded on a desert island, I'd be like, "All right, I'm gonna read this every once in a while. And if it starts making sense to me, then I'll know there's a problem. I got a <laughs> benchmark for what Crazy Town is, so yeah, you know, I just know, like, okay, back off from this."
1: I thought from your previous comments that you thrive on rage. And so the fact that it would just get you going, it would, it would just keep you alive in that in that regard. Just to,
2: just so that I would drive myself to climb up another tree and uh, pull down a coconut like you can't do that every day just gotta get get worked up to do it
1: no when i was thinking about my three it was kind of a weird mix i felt like i'm gonna have some needs on this island and the first one that came to mind was i want to have the happy time and the thing is just going to relax me in the stress of trying to survive so Mm. mike allred's madman is just such like a peaceful happy-go-lucky comic it's creative and fun it's Mm. got a little bit of existential you know you can put yourself to some thought am i really on this island what's it all about is it all a construct of my mind Whatever it is. So I'd go there. Then I was thinking, I, that's something I already know well. I've read and reread it. I love it. But then I, I was like, what do I want that's going to surprise me, especially if it's a subscription that's getting mailed in a bottle that's floating to me sure. every month? Yeah. I, I was thinking James Robinson's Starman. because i've only read a few issues but they were great and i know it ran for a long time it's a very Mm -hmm. built-out world great Mm -hmm. relationships and there's but there's action adventure mixed in so i was like okay i think i would like that solid then i said well i'm a heterosexual man with needs i'm not gonna go full bad girl but i'm gonna have (laughs) to imagine some type of relationship while i'm Mm -hmm. on this island blade? So,
2: you're going to go with Witchblade, are you? <laughs>
1: yes, of course, Witchblade. No. In fact, I was going with Terry Moore's Strangers, Strangers in Paradise. In Paradise. Oh. Because not only are they like realistic women, but mm-hmm. the, the situations there and the dialogue would feel like hanging out with friends. Like you're having mm-hmm. just like a real, and he mixes in some espionage and other stuff in there. And then I have something to, to keep my tendencies <laughs> alive, I guess you would say, on the island. So good calls uh, all. Oh, we go. So, yeah, but we'd love to hear from you out there. We don't do hashtags on this show, really, but if you want to give us your uh, hashtag island subscription, we'd love to hear it out there, those of you who are listening. But, Chad, why don't you take us into our next letter here? I think it might uh, feature somebody you're pretty familiar with.
2: Hey, Wizardites, what does Crow creator James O'Barr think of the WCW wrestler Sting ripping off the look of the crow? This is from, uh, uh, Scott Loftus from Sod, West Virginia. So here comes the snark. There's really a Sod, West Virginia, an entire <laughs> city named after a tough surface layer of earth containing grass and roots. No kidding. Which, I mean yes i make fun of west virginia and all sorts of places like that constantly how can I you ha- resist nope. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't help it but also this feels like a mulch joke i don't know if you were a uh fan of Gru. you should it's one of the greatest comics of all
1: time our our friend and former co-host steven sapelis he loved his Gru the wanderer yeah excellent yeah they have a they have a joke where they just like
2: explain mulch repeatedly just as like a running gag so like
1: it feels a little bit like that you know what i'm gonna allow that i I will say in fact the next letter as you see in the next column somebody asks what is mulch so now i know they were a Groove fan and he was grouping Uh, these letters together for a reason (laughs)
2: uh, uh, uh. nice Perhaps surprisingly, Obar isn't bothered by Sting's look. It's not like I'm going to bring a lawsuit or anything he says. I guess it's just imitation, which is the sincerest form of flattery.
1: So, but what is your opinion? This is what I have to ask you, Chad. Like, when it happened in the 90s and you see he's no longer surfer neon beach boy, what was your first thought? And also, what do you think about the fact that it has continued to this day to be his look?
2: Well, I have a lot of thoughts, I will say. <laughs> That as a judgmental son of a bitch, I was I was one as a child. I grew up into a particularly surly one in my teens and twenties. I've mellowed out some, but I have thoughts. One of them is that the crow is one of the greatest sequential art creations of all time. This is a cassette tape. The band Trust Obey did a score or like a soundtrack for the comic book The Crow. Oh. I don't know why I had this laying around (laughs) box of cassette tapes and VHS tapes that I've been meaning to transfer to digital because they're going to fall apart, but it's like, it's an industrial band. I forget who was in the, but like, so like, it's so, so pure and hipsterish and underground. And, you know, like as soon as, as anything like that uh, hits the mainstream, you're like, how dare you steal my thing? So on the, as a youngster, I was very much against not just uh, staying as the crow, but also I had issues with the movie because I'm like, how dare they take with, you know, this pristine work and bastardize it. And pretty quickly, I came to love it just because Brandon Lee's amazing. And James Abar actually really enjoyed it too. And he was a fan of it. So I I, I like it. It is good. It's its own thing. Uh, Michael Wincott is just amazing in that. But yeah, there was so much of like that punk ethos that you know gets taken out of it when you turn it into a movie or into a wrestler. <laughs> uh, and I mean, here's the thing: every time I see Sting nowadays, because he came back and is on AEW pretty regularly, I was never a WCW guy back during the Attitude Era. I was a WWF guy, so like Sting never did much for me. Uh, I did remember seeing him when he was part of the Blade Runners with uh, bef- uh when the, with Jim Hellwig.
1: Yeah, Ultimate Warrior. Yeah,
2: but like the crow thing was like what are you doing man but i tell you what every time that guy comes out today he's uh pushing like 64 or something like that and he is still doing these insane spots that you know you would expect from someone who's 20 and has a death wish and he He does good stuff. He's good. And like, he's still there because he understands wrestling. And so he, even though he's old and his body doesn't work as well as it used to, he can still tell a good story and I'm, and I'm buying it. So like every time I want to hate sting, I want to hate Steve Borden and I never do because he's always so much better than you expect. And so I have to let the crow thing go because can't do anything about it.
1: Well, that is awesome. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it that he's still uh performing and living up to you know the icon really that he is, even if he stole someone else's iconography for his gimmick. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah, the the best have done it. You know, it, it all goes back to comics, right? Hulk Hogan, where'd he get his name? You know? <laughs> uh, had yep. to pay Marvel Comics all those years, you know, just to keep <laughs> it. So if he had taken off the makeup and he had gone back, you know, to the neon Beach Boy look, I think it certainly would have made some headlines, at least in the sheets so it's time that we check out our (laughs) wizard news all right so our top story this issue identity crisis reveals that peter parker is ditching his spider-man persona to take on four new superhero identities in an upcoming arc that thankfully has nothing to do with clones as sensational spider-man writer todd Dezago explains quote Every bounty hunter from the Punisher to the Shocker is hunting. It gets to the point where being Spider-Man is becoming ineffective and he's endangering people he's trying to save because all these bounty hunters are shooting at him. So as to not give away his identity then, Parker will not be using web shooters or his ability to stick to walls. Instead, he'll be coming up with new weapons and devices to help him battle evil. So here we go, Chan. Here are the four identities. The first is Ricochet which features a mask with free-flowing hair. Okay, he's got a leather jacket with throwing discs attached to it that he uses to disarm criminals in a ricochet effect. I know there's a rustler named Ricochet. I wonder, <laughs> how, how inspired was he by this brief moment in Spider-Man history? But next is a dark Avenger. It's a completely black costume, like no eye holes, no nothing. Reported here to be called Matt black that's m-a-t-t-e okay so a matte black color but when he does appear in the comics the name is changed to dusk so they thought the better of that (laughs) fair enough it's
2: not the m-a-t-t-e i have a problem with it's the b-l-a-c-k-e that i have a problem with Uh... (laughs) why would you add an e to that
1: The next one is the Hornet, who is an armored Avenger with a flying wing jetpack designed by the Prowler, who in the comic, he says, it was too heavy for me to ever wear. And the Spider-Man's like, well, I got proportionate strength of a spider. And he puts it on. It's no problem for him. Uh, And then finally, Prodigy is a brightly colored cape wearing hero with like a winged helmet type of thing on the side. And yeah, so that's just like your standard Superman style deal. Now, here's what I'll say. I read these issues. Thankfully, it's literally just two issues of each of the four Spider-Man titles. This was not like six months. This was not a year. This was, we can get this done quickly. We learned our lesson from the clone saga. (laughs) And what they say is this Identity Crisis storyline is announced as a big blowout before Marvel cuts their four monthly Spider-Man titles down to just two. And they're going to basically reboot the character, build him back up into the classic wall crawler that all the fans have been asking for, that especially Wizard in recent issues has really been bringing Marvel to task for. Like, you're dropping the ball, Spidey sucks. They said that (laughs) just flat out. But first up, what do you think of the idea of multiple heroic personas as a concept for a super character, it feels
2: like peak nineties. It feels like we're trying to sell multiple covers of the same issue, and we're trying to merchandise the hell out of this thing. In practice, it doesn't sound too bad. Like you're just going to do a couple of these things, cool. You get that a lot of times in a wrestling show. We're like. Oh, God, I don't want to see this guy. I don't want to see him talking about anything. And it's so like 15 seconds. Like, I'm going to kick your ass. And then they leave. You're like, Oh, oh well, that uh, was okay. I mean, it was short. It was, you got the point across and we moved on. So, you know, if you're going to do that, I, I I guess I'll allow it. But this is before or after the death
1: of Superman. Oh, th- this is far after. So this is basically like five years after the death of Superman. But they do mention this news piece that it is a very similar concept, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah it
2: is. Yeah, uh it's mid 90s. I'm sorry. What what year was this? This is
1: 1998.
2: Oh, that's All right. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> I guess I guess it's it's fine. It's fine. It's dumb but it's fine.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously like we've had characters that have multiple personas like Moon Knight did that right like he would cut it but the fact that like four different superhero personas right it's a part of him but i do have to ask did any of the designs appeal to you like if he had just chosen one new persona is there one you would have chosen
2: i mean this feels like there was a comic book that I had one issue of when I was a little kid and I feel like I got it from like a dentist or something like that. It was not something I would have picked on myself. It was called dial a hero. Yes. And the idea was kids fans, whoever who was reading it would send in their ideas for a, uh, superhero. And then the characters would like dial a hero. And it would, they would turn into one of these heroes and at the bottom. It'd be like this character character submitted by, you know, Fred Jones of uh, sod West Virginia. And this is what it feels like. Like, Hey, let's just take a bunch of like cool hip teen characters and make it a a thing. It's dumb and it's fine.
1: And would it surprise you to know know know. that after the storyline ends, Marvel says, well, these characters are so popular. He gives the identities (sighs) to other people. And they become a team Uh, of heroes called the Slingers, like Web Slingers. uh,
2: I'm mad at it now. This is ridiculous.
1: (laughs) How long does
2: that last? Because I do not recall this at all.
1: I don't think very long because I know that they pack in a zero comic with an issue of wizard for slingers that sets up, Hey, here's the new versions of these characters you saw, you know, however many months ago. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. Time will tell when we catch up to it, but Chad, why don't you take us into our next news piece here? Wizard asked their
2: AOL subscribers this month to vote on what is greatest comic book story ever told. The big winner was Batman The Dark Knight Returns, obviously. The Dark Knight Returns has 20%, Kingdom Come has 18%, Watchmen was 17%, The Dark Phoenix Saga earned 12%, Marvel scored 11%, X-Men Days of Future Past garnered 9%, and the Born Again story brought up the rear with just 3%. Uh, it's
1: interesting to know that 10% of the vote went to the other category.
2: Yeah, and of these choices, which story would get your
1: vote? I mean, I really have a hard time arguing with Watchmen because I just feel like that was the height of the form of that paneled storytelling of what you could do, like deconstructing heroes. You know, Nowadays, it feels like old hat, but at the time, just what it accomplished and the fact that you can hand that to anybody and they say, oh, this is comics. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just something that I feel it has a little bit more reach. I think that's what I would point to because it's got all the elements with just a little something extra to it. What do you think? The greatest
2: comic book story ever told, I feel like there should be an element of what a comic story intends to do, which is to uh, be a power fantasy, usually for young adolescent boys, but the idea that like, oh, I'm scrawny little guy. Now I'm big and super strong and I can affect the world. Because I, you know, as a a small little child, I have no power. That's what connects you to the basic tropes of superhero storytelling. And yeah, the Watchmen completely deconstructs it. And there's strong elements of other genres of sequential art in there. You know, like uh, it's primarily a mystery rather than like a superhero story. The superhero trappings are there and we're, you know, sort of like, Yeah, like deconstructing it. But like, I feel like personally, I was more viscerally affected by uh, the Dark Knight Returns. I feel like it doesn't hold up as well because of everything that came after it. Like there are not a lot of followers of the Watchmen, but you can see a billion Dark Knight clones and it gets to the point where most comic books are a parody of the Dark Knight Returns. But at the time, certainly... Like I was just leveled by that, and I loved it so much. I think Kingdom Come and Marvels are both. I mean, they're there because of Alex Ross. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, no question. And uh, I think Kurt Busiek wrote both of, the, both of those. Did he? No, um,
1: yeah, I always make that uh, that mistake. But so Kurt Busiek wrote Marvels, but Mark Wade wrote Kingdom Come. Okay, I was okay. actually corrected by Kurt Busiek on Twitter at one point well, when I'd made that there mistake. You go. <laughs>
2: those are really good and definitely deserve to be on this list i think uh, because they that does come a little closer you know, you sort of get like a a human eye view of that superhero story which is really great dark phoenix is like it, it, it's maximal soap opera with a bunch of cosmic stuff so like again definitely belongs on the list days of future past belongs on the list like these all belong there and personally i would say dark knight returns i think you might be right that the greatest comic book story ever told, it is not the best superhero story, which I think most people, when they think of comics, they think of Cape and Cowell. So I wouldn't say that it is the best of that, but probably the greatest comic book story ever told.
1: Yeah, I could see the Watchmen making a real strong case here. Okay, so we're mostly in agreement, but we'll find out what our listeners think. I know we got a lot of X-Men fans out there, so they're probably going to say Dark Phoenix, but we may, we yeah. got two terrible movies based on that, so
2: <laughs> how strong <laughs> can it be? Um, I mean, if you're going to base it on how good of a, a, a translation does it make to the screen, that's a whole different ballgame
1: there. <laughs> i am just say Watchmen was like page to screen, you know, pretty pretty faithful, but... Uh,
2: the Watchmen sequel
1: was so much better than the Snyder Watchmen.
2: Personal opinion, also I'm correct.
1: <laughs> All right, well, let's get into our next piece here. This is a fun one. Uncanny Artist stars on Pictionary reports that X-Men artist Chris Bocciolo, who we've been hearing a lot about this issue, <laughs> appeared alongside Garfield creator Jim Davis on the Pictionary game show hosted by Alan Thick. And apparently this wasn't just a few hours in front of the camera, as Botula relates, quote, I was on for all five days, but unfortunately we only won one day. At least it was a wild overtime win. Provided it doesn't screw with my deadlines, I wouldn't mind doing it again. <laughs> so uh, I, mean, I remember these strange daytime, just oddball, like, hey, we're doing a new game show. It's based on one of your favorite games. But I have to ask first. You know, uh, Now, did you grow up in, in California, Chan? Is that what I recall?
2: A lot of in California, a lot of in Washington State. So Okay. So yeah.
1: were you ever on a game show? Have you ever been given an opportunity to appear on a game show? Here's the thing. I am going to say no, but I am
2: not sure. <laughs> I have done a lot of things, and I have forgotten even more things. Every once in a while, a picture will crop up, and someone will be like, Hey, remember you did that? I'm like, no, <laughs> I've clearly physically, I am in that picture. This was not photoshopped. I have no recollection of what was that? A six month run of Midsummer Night's Dream. Nope, nothing. <laughs> so I know I've gone to uh game shows and like been in audiences. Let's make a deal. Uh, surprisingly fun. Oh. Uh, but I don't think I've ever been on one like as a contestant. Okay,
1: I was technically on one uh, in high school I did a lot of drama you grew up in California everybody Mm. knows a producer oh we got a show going on over here we need somebody to be on so it was this show called Great Pretenders that was on the Fox family channel Oh wow! and I was on the pilot episode and then it got picked up and so they brought me back for an actual episode and the idea was it was a kids lip sync game show (laughs) so so from like age like 7 to like you know, sixteen, seventeen, you could be on this show, and so I had to do for my actual performance when the show was hosted by Fergie back when she was in Wild Orchid with her Kids Incorporated castmate Renee Sands, who I worshipped that show, and I was like, I can't believe I'm on the stage with Stacy and Renee. Hey. <laughs> I-D-S, We're Kids corporate. Oh, I lived for that show. And so they had me do Beck, Where It's At, because they had two turntables and a microphone on the stage for me to be interacting with. And I lost to my friend's girlfriend, who was also on the episode, doing Surfing USA in, you know, swimwear. So they won. But but it was just, yeah. So I've had that opportunity. It was kind of crazy. It was very fun. But I am curious, Chan what artist comic book artist or otherwise would you want as your celebrity partner in a game of Pictionary? Well, we'll get to that in a
2: sec. I need to know because I know that you have kids who are a little bit older than mine. Uh So I need to know if they're still lip syncing, if that's a thing that like you can go to a a talent show and do, or if we've all finally realized that that's ridiculous and only an idiot would do a, a, a lip sync as a talent.
1: I kind of wish they would revive it because I just went to an elementary school talent <laughs> show like two months ago at the end of the year and the kids that were singing could have used a little practice. That's all I'm saying. I but well, I grew I up in California. You know, everybody had singing lessons. Everybody was a performer, so. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's why I can never leave this place. Come on. I don't want to have to deal with all these amateurs. Ugh, seven-year-olds, you can't keep a bitch. <laughs> Disgusting i'm sorry your question was what artist would i want as a celebrity partner pictionary the answer hands down is sergio Aragonés, hearkening back to grew because that dude uh if you don't know him not only did he do Gru, which is a, just an amazing wonderful comic written by mark evanier uh, who's also another amazing writer he drew and i believe continues to draw all of the little uh cartoons on the s- margins of mad magazine Also, I don't even know if Mad Magazine is still a thing anymore, but he does it with such speed, like insanely fast and they're good too. So like, like in terms of Pictionary, there's probably maybe three to five other human beings in the history of mankind that you would want as your partner on that show. And he would be one of them.
1: Yeah, that, that was my thought. I was going to go for a cartoonist also. So I was like, Jeff Smith of bone fame. I feel like he could probably sure. whip out something very easily for me. You know, <laughs> a dog yeah, that's some in the sun sweating, you know, and then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's a hot dog. Got it. Okay. So. Get one of
2: those forties animators where they were like drawing each
1: cell hand by hand. Like They've <laughs> got it pretty fast. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you take us into this next piece here? This is an interesting one. All right. in further X-Men news, a
2: sidebar titled, Who is Joseph? finds the Wizard staff reacting to the events of Uncanny X-Men number 350, where someone claiming to be Magneto shows up disguised as Eric the Red. This event called into question the true identity of the supposed amnesiac Magneto, who had been a member of the team for quite a while, using the name Joseph. Wizard lines up the following suspects that could be the true identity of Joseph, Charles Lencher, Magneto's son with Rogue from the Age of Apocalypse. Proteus, the son of Moira McTaggart, who uses the ability to warp reality. Morph, possibly stricken with a case of amnesia. That's a lot of amnesia, man. I don't even (laughs) know. That caused him to take the form of Magneto, changeling not the team titan but an X villain who once impersonated professor x magneto joseph could actually be magneto and the guy in the eric the red armor might be the imposter and finally dr polaris from the dc universe who has the power of magnetism and may have been brought over by access from the marvel versus dc crossovers event yeah (laughs) regardless of who
1: it is what do you think of this mystery as a story point amnesia it's a soap opera you said it yourself do you like the amnesia in a soap opera
2: but also i haven't done it in so long that it just feels so hack and like like uh i don't know i don't know some people will watch soap operas for decades and that's you know like a, a part of them that's what they do and like lord no professional wrestling is just soap opera with steroids but i feel like There's only so many amnesia angles you can run before you just can't do it anymore. It just, it feels like, like a Tom and Jerry cartoon or something where you, oh, get out of the head. I don't remember who I am. Let's have a wacky story about it. But I I don't know. I I, I feel like everybody deserves to have a chunk of that. You deserve to grow up. Like my first X-Men issue was like around 196 and my last was early 300s. So I would say that um, you've got about a run of about 150 monthly comics for a soap opera. That's a little more of 10 years where you should be able to grow up and get to experience those things because it's only hack. Because
1: each generation, once a generation. If they do it multiple
2: times, then you're like, okay. So by the time you get around to your second or third amnesia run, you'd be like, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm done with comic books. But um, (laughs) I don't care for this. But... Whoever, whoever that was the proper uh, time frame for. Absolutely. Go nuts, man. Choose one of the shapeshifters. That's the most fun, right?
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. I and mean, I didn't read ahead to find out who actually Joseph was. So I guess, <laughs> but I know they pull it again later when Magneto is hiding out as a character called Zorn. And then he reveals himself. No, I was Magneto the whole time. You're like, come on, dude.
2: <laughs> also, though, Dr. Polaris can go to hell. Uh, I will have no truck with these DC Marvel crossovers, uh, that amalgam stuff is a particular bugaboo of mine.
1: Oh, breaking my heart.
2: (laughs) Combined characters like Batman Wolverine. Come on. no, no, it's too much. I I don't Even think eight year old me would have been able to handle that.
1: Well, our next story, this is an interesting one. I'm curious if you're aware of what was to come because it says here, Marvel event Being event comics, consider Heroes Reborn type deal. And it's the first official report of this arrangement that will soon become the Marvel Knights imprint. So here's the fun fact, real quick: is that Wizard publisher Garib Sheamus, he's actually the one who suggested Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Casada to Marvel, like, oh, you want to do that? These are the guys that should run it. And then they got the gig. So from that point on, Wizard got a lot of exclusives after that. And they already had a good relationship. But here's what the, uh, the story itself says, because this is all what's to come. So, another Heroes Reborn-style deal is in the works for some Marvel Comics characters. If it goes through, Marvel is making sure that this time things stay close to home. In fact, they're making sure things stay in their offices. Event Comics founders Jimmy Palmiotti and Joe Quesada have suspended publication of all event titles, including Ash, Crimson Plague, and Painkiller Jane, for six months. Many see this as an overture to Palmiati and Quesada overseeing production of a group of Marvel titles similar to the 1996 deal Marvel struck with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld in Heroes Reborn. Key differences? Stories would take place within the Marvel Universe, not in a separate universe, as happened with Reborn, and Palmiati and Casada would work on-site at Marvel's offices. Quote, We've been talking extensively with Marvel President Joe Calamari, Casada said, and we sent a proposal, which their legal department is going through. If finalized, Daredevil will become the key title in the palmiati casada stable. Popular writer Joe Kelly is leaving Daredevil after issue number 375, citing a heavy workload. If all goes well, Quesada would like screenwriter Kevin Smith to write the title with Quesada himself penciling. Also part of the proposed deal is a new Black Panther title with which Quesada wants to make very hip, very urban contemporary, and several other revivals of unspecified Marvel characters. And the future of Event Comics? Quote, we're not out of business, we're not bankrupt, said Quesada. It's just a restructuring and consolidating of the company. We may have Event back in less than six months. And then it says many have speculated that if this deal goes through, Event may Return as a creator owned imprint of Marvel Comics. Quote, coincidence or not, I don't know, Casada said. Speculate as you will. She's so building the suspense. I- I'll say this, Chad. Basically, everything that's rumored in this article is actually. Everything that comes true, except for that I Event want, Comics what? became a, a creator own imprint in Marvel. That didn't happen. Event Comics never came back because Joe Casada <laughs> becomes the editor in chief of Marvel after this and mm-hmm. just barely left. So that's what everybody's asking now. Will we ever see Ash? And Event Comics, you know, Jimmy Palmiotti took Painkiller Jane with him and kept doing that. So I have to ask you just in terms of Joe Casada, Jimmy Palmiotti, they were like really kind of exploding in that early. 90s period. Do you have a particular opinion on either side from their work or their collaborations?
2: Not especially. I remember them. I remember their names. Didn't realize that they had, you know, done indie comics. Or they just like showed up and were doing Marvel stuff. I'm like <laughs> interesting to know that they were somewhere before coming editor in chief.
1: Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Pagliotti especially has worked like everywhere. He's inked for every company, like so many comics, whether it's indie or the major labels, anything. So it's just really interesting to see where his career has gone. You know, especially Joe Casada's really took off. But I think Jimmy never wanted to be corporate is what he said. We've actually had him on the podcast. So uh, we'll have to have nice. him back when we get deep into Marvel Knights. But were you aware of that imprint? Were you dipping in and out of comics at all at this period? not really i remember it existing because it was like hey
2: we're cool we're urban which is usually when they say urban they mean black and they're afraid to say it but like hip yep. also feels adjacent i don't know it felt like trying too hard honestly so i never read any of them and i don't know they might have been really good but the marketing at least just felt
1: yeah well what's interesting is like the biggest thing to come out of it was the fact that you know kevin smith gets into writing comics you know on on a monthly basis it becomes very popular and then the daredevil movie that we get starring ben affleck was basically all kevin smith's storyline is what they were using for that so kind of interesting all right chad well we've covered the news now we're gonna check out our table of contents wizard issue 78 with a february 1998 cover date featured two different covers the first was a spider-man by steve scroach who ironically by this time the issue hit newsstands had already jumped ship from marvel to draw the short-lived young blood reboot for rob liefeld at awesome entertainment by uh, oh alan God, moore the
2: fact that he calls it awesome entertainment i know that it's hacked to crap on Rob Weifel, but
1: it's called awesome entertainment. (laughs) (sighs) He does what he does. It's extreme. It's awesome. It's in your face. Now, the second was a cliffhanger jam cover by J. Scott Campbell, Joe Madarera, and Umberto Ramos featuring the star characters from their new books, which were Battle Chasers, Danger Girl, and Crimson. More on them a little bit later, so we'll, we'll get into your thoughts, but packed in with the issue was a Superman Red and Superman Blue poster, which was backed by a Brian Douglas Ahern calendar, and additionally an Iron Man pop-up chromium trading card. Inside was also a mail-away offer for a Boba Fett half comic from Dark Horse. I'm curious, Chad, do you remember any wizard pack-in items that may have come with any issues? Like, was there something that stood out? I do not. There were so many
2: of them, and the month they came out, they seemed so amazing. And... By the time the next month had rolled around, I could not tell you what it was. I could not tell you what happened to it. It just disappeared into the ether. Probably just threw them away. Because what am I going to do
1: with one Iron Man pop up chromium card? <laughs> Oh, it's true. It's true. I mean, I, I had a, a lot of Wizard magazines that I saved for years, but I did not save any of the packets, hardly. I think there was one uncut sheet of Spider-Man cards that I hung on to because I, I collected that whole series of cards and then I was like, oh, I have this uncut sheet, too. <laughs> uh, but why don't you take us into our first cover story here? All
2: right. Our first cover story, Sticky Situation, is Wizard's analysis of how far the Spider-Man book had fallen over the last few years regarding the character's signature your sense of humor. Wizard said, Forget Deadpool and Hitman. Spider-Man should be the wittiest character in all of comics. On the whole, Spider-Man is about as funny as Carrot Top. Quips like, That kind of cornball dialogue is as dead as the Macarena is what's supposed to pass as clever dialogue these days. On top of maintaining a secret identity, they say Peter Parker's double life should be so burdensome that he can't confide in anyone. What was once a tightrope walk of a double life has now become a single one. Daredevil knows it. Venom knows it. The Jackal knows it. Wolverine knows it. Hell, X-Man knows it. Why bother calling it a secret identity? On the topic of characters staying dead in the crawlers world, they declare, Death is a joke. Let's count the resurrected folks. Dr. Octopus, the Jackal, the Spider-Clone, Kraven, his son, which doesn't really count, despite his parents, they came back as robots, and most insultingly, Norman Osborn. Wizard also bemoans the loss of Peter's youthful attitude since he got married and became an expectant father, which led to the loss of his supporting cast of friends since now he just talks to Mary Jane about his problems. They even complain about the fact that the secret identity storyline is taking away the classic costume again so shortly after ben riley's death which has brought about the return of the classic uniform they also share their opinion that peter should be a depressed optimist because the world is always coming down on him and he's poor but also smart and clever it sounds like they want spider-man to be an awkward teenager forever is there room for spider-man to evolve and
1: mature in his life circumstances that is the question right this has been going on so all through the spider clone saga they're like this is the worst thing ever marvel you've ruined spider-man and then they get. rid of that and they're like you still suck at writing spider-man marvel you don't know what to do with him. we want him to be this guy like he was basically in the 60s and 70s and early 80s you know they're just like bring it back bring it back to the way we want him to be so what do you think do you want teenage spider-man do you want college age spider-man do you like married middle aged middle class life spider-man like where are you at (sighs)
2: There's uh there's a lot of answers to this question. Like the main one has to be what I was saying before is that like everybody deserves to experience this thing uh for them. Like I used to think the ultimates was terrible. I'm like, oh, you're rebooting everything and like making it all sort of self-contained whatever where you get to do your old characters but cool like i'm like wh- why are we doing that but then yeah it it is perfectly valid to take these archetypes and give them a new spin for a modern audience and like hey yeah maybe more than one black person in the entire marvel universe <laughs> and the one asian person and the like two hispanic characters you know like yeah well how about a little diversity that's great that's all good when it comes to like a character like this it's kind of like metallica you know like if you were a fan from the beginning then along comes you know, the black, album, load, reload, but then they become different human beings and you become a different human being. And so like, it's fine to not like an artist's later stuff or their early stuff or whatever doesn't jive with you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it just, it feels like uh, at the time everybody was really into Canon, right? It was like, okay, what's the real story? The character has been around for 30 years. Oh, you changed this. Now this is messed up. But after all those decades, yeah, the appeal of the older audience is going to be different than the younger audience you're trying to bring in. So It seems like more than ever now, they've managed to kind of segment the audience and everybody gets their version of the characters, for better or for worse, if you want to say like, oh, but it's really like this. Well, in your reality, sometimes even just your headcanon, right? But everybody needs a jumping on point. And speaking of jumping on, our next story, I think, has a little bit to say about a new universe and some new books. The Wizard Q&A with Cliffhanger, exclamation point, uh, is an interview with Red hot artists as they put it joe maderera j scott campbell and umberto ramos about launching their new creator-owned imprint cliffhanger through jim lee's wildstorm productions wizard staffer and future robot chicken co-creator matt senreich sets the scene in the opening paragraph quote jim lee is late over an hour late and no one knows where he is and we're supposed to be the young and irresponsible ones laughs the laid-back campbell let's just do this without him (laughs) when asked flat out why they're leaving gigs on the most popular titles in comics to go out on their own joe mad states quote we're at the height of our popularity and if we're gonna do something like this now would be the best time while campbell declares that quote when image first started it was the best of the best in comics but as it grew larger it certainly didn't have the best of the best feel what we're hoping to do with the label is set a precedent of quality back in comics which wow i don't know how jim lee feels about that it's not the best of the best anymore you know (laughs) On more personal motivations for this move, Joe Matt explains quote, "It's about doing something the way that I want it done instead of a huge company forcing me to draw things that I may not necessarily agree with." while Campbell reveals quote, "to me, I want to draw something to legitimize myself as somebody that isn't a one-shot wonder with Gen 13. Ramos, the least high-profiled of the three, states, quote, This isn't going to hurt me in any way. If anything, being associated with Joe and Jeff will only help me. About making the jump from providing flashy art to writing comics, J. Scott Campbell says, quote, With respect to the good writers in the industry, I don't think comic book writing is rocket science. While Matt Herrera adds, Not to sound too cocky, but we can pretty much call up any comic writer and ask them to write our books, assuming they would accept. But I really want this to be mine. Of course, the trio also admit to having co-writers on the books with them, so their books are not going to be entirely one-man operations. Now, at this point in the interview, Jim Lee strolls in, joking about his tardiness, and says laughing, quote, Just mix in quotes for me at the beginning of this article, and people will think I was never late! Sedreich gets right to the point, though, stating that it feels like Umberto Ramos was tacked on to the cliffhanger project, since his work is not as high profile as the other two. And Lee explains, quote, These three guys gravitated towards one another out of common respect for each other's work. Whether or not he's a hot artist now is irrelevant. I feel Umberto will rise to that status, Campbell adds. We fully and strongly believe in Umberto's ability to produce a great comic book. Look at his impulse run. There's a much more important aspect here than who is popular enough to join. More names of popular artists who could join the ranks such as Randy Queen or Mike Waringo are floated by Senreich, but Lee and the boys stand firm in their intentions to remain a trio for this first year. It should be mentioned that Wizard offered the entire 11,000-word transcript of the interview to read on the Wizard World Online. A little incentive there, the uncut interview, along with some exclusive photos. I barely recognize the names J. Scott Campbell and Joe
2: Madeira. I don't know what they've done since then have they done anything umberto ramos never never until this very moment have i heard his name
1: so that's the thing and we talked a little bit about this last episode but joe matterera he released like a handful of issues over four years and they were really sporadic like four to six months every issue before they came out and then he just gave up and he just released a new issue this year (laughs) (laughs) it took that long yeah It'd be right, he's back. Woohoo. Was it, making Indian Jones movies? What the hell? <laughs> he got into video game design. And so then he was just like, this pays more or whatever. J. Scott Campbell just became a cover artist. You know, so he does these like cheesecake variant covers. That's how he makes his living. And Roberto Ramos sure. was like the most consistent of any of them, I guess, because he didn't have the superstar trappings. But yeah, it did not really last very long. But uh, Chad, take us into our next story, because here's someone who managed to stick around and make an impact. Our next story, Flyboy, is an
2: exploration of the popularity that the Tim Drake version of Robin had experienced since getting a solo title five years earlier. Wizard chats with writer Chuck Dixon and artist Staz Johnson about what makes him so relatable. Says Dixon, adolescence has got to be the worst part of your life. Trying to make it through the other side with a decent image of yourself is tough. Johnson adds, Robin's not just written as a five foot tall adult. He's not just a superhero, he's a kid. In the back of his mind, even when he's kicking some bad guy, he's still worried about these things. Adding more context, Dixon explains the weight of his secret identity weighs heavy on him because it's not just Robin. If he were exposed, Batman would be exposed. Wizard breaks down all of Tim's recent girl troubles, being forbidden to date his high school girlfriend by her parents and fellow teen costume crime fighter, spoiler, having a crush on him. But Dixon wraps up the interview with this statement about the biggest difference between Tim Drake and Dick Grayson. Tim has been has pretty much attained his lifetime goal of becoming Robin. He doesn't see himself in the future taking over Batman's role or becoming a character like Night. He sees a day when he no longer will be Robin he's an evolving character he's got a lot of growing to do what is your general opinion on the idea of a superhero sidekick
1: superhero sidekick right I mean it's definitely if it didn't happen in the 30s and 40s it kind of feels odd like there's teams you know Mm -hmm. like you know a pair of heroes but to have the young ward that is now you know going out and uh, being put in harm's way and you're trading him Mm -hmm. up it always seems kind of weird and it's just Robin was grandfathered in that's what it feels like we accepted. (laughs) Batman and Robin. But after that, it's like, no, you can't really do that. But what do you think?
2: Yeah, there was a time when to enter a trade, you would be an apprentice. And so, you know, it sort of makes sense in that context. But then the internet happened. Books happened. You can learn how to do something without the reckless child endangerment. Yeah, I guess since the triangle shirt waist fire, we've learned that maybe uh, uh, there's a better way to do this. No one sidekicks. I don't think I don't think anybody thinks that's a good idea anymore.
1: Yeah, like when I was thinking about, were there any other sidekicks that made sense? And I was just like, maybe in cartoons, you know, something like Dynamut, like he was way cooler than he was with the Blue Falcon, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you're just like, everybody was there for him. Nobody cared about Blue Falcon, you know? You know what? Yeah,
2: dog psychics are fine. Uh, Talking animals of any sort. All
1: right, um, let's get into this here. This is interesting. The manga scene section, which we rarely cover. Uh, But in this issue, it features an announcement that the X-Men are slated to get their own manga release through the Marvel Imports line. It's reported that the X-Men first became popular in Japan with the debut of the animated series in 1994. Then a manga was published in the pages of Japan's comic Gamma which will now be translated for American audiences. The manga was eventually collected into 13 trade paperback collections of 150 pages each in Japan. So it ran for a while and it's stated that this adaptation of the animated series, which starts with Jubilee being rescued by the X-Men in a mall, just like the American series, takes a few different turns than the version that ran on Saturday mornings in the USA. So it will be something new for American fans who loved that Fox series. So I I do have to ask you here, Chad, are you more into traditional american comics or do you think you're equally a reader or collector of manga
2: anime was a thing that was just starting to become a thing old old stuff you know like star blazers robotech things that were you know like translated like americanized versions that was my first taste of it like like i was in an anime club in my freshman year of college which was when we would have to get videotapes like shipped from japan and you know so like Mongo wasn't really accessible, or in that same way you'd have to like get them like one by one. Shipping took six weeks to get. Then you know, like I was working in a bookstore and they just start popping up. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. And as it just becomes this thing now where it's just ordinary for people to read from right to left, that blows my mind, and it is amazing. And so I always liked it because it was another view it was the sequential art form but a completely different cultural backdrop and they saw things differently they told stories differently and so i'm not an aficionado of manga like any kid that you walk up to in the street today has read 10 times the manga i have because they're just there i like reading all sorts of different kinds of comics just like give me something new show me something i haven't seen before so yeah
1: i like it all right well good deal yeah i know uh so kevin decent who kind of arranged our connection here we had a show that we did together on youtube where we had talk about our thrift store finds and the one thing we know is is manga is so prevalent now that like even at thrift stores there's just the old volumes of manga that people have given away because you know it's just you can find it everywhere these days and it definitely it looks like it is what the next generation is going to be reading it's not going to be our traditional american superheroes they might go to the theater to see their movies but they're not reading the the source material as heavily so
2: (laughs) well here's the thing i want more different things any kind of monocultures sucks and is boring and the reason why i gave up on superhero comics because they're all the same so like yeah give me more things and eventually it'll all be manga and that'll kind of suck too and then hopefully hungarian comics will be a thing (laughs) no whatever whatever there
1: is uh give me more different things Hey geeks, it's time to take a break to tell you about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. If you haven't heard already, it's Smooth Sack Summer. When you're playing in the summer sun, make sure you're manscaped from pubes to bum. That's
0: right. (laughs) (laughs) This is the summer to keep your balls cool while still looking hot with Manscaped. The leaders in below-the-waist grooming are making sure we all have a ball this summer by giving our pants partners everything they need to stay fresh, dive head first into smooth-sack summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code WIZARD20, which my cousin just told me he ordered as well. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, this yeah.
1: is the season, man, like they're saying. And you know who's the king of summertime manscaping, my It's Namor, the (laughs) submariner. His Atlantean speedo leaves very little to the imagination and dude always looks smooth when he's battling the villains of the
0: deep blue sea. Imperious Rex. Namor obviously hooked himself up with Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, and it's time you do the same. It has everything you need to prepare that summer bod. Manscaped has built the ultimate grooming bundle for your summer grooming. Their Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to its advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, a new multifunction on-off switch to engage travel lock. That's kind of cool. And gives you the ability to turn the 4,000 Kelvin LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shaves.
1: I'll just tell you, Michael, like, I busted out my equipment for the summertime. You know, it's getting hotter. I gotta have less hair on the body, you know, just trying to keep it uh, nice and cool around these parts. I'm excited. Both of those pieces of equipment are just so easy to use. That's the best part. I don't have to, like, prep anything. I'm just like, nope, it's ready to go.
0: It's a smooth experience all the way around. I gotta say, also, the battery lasts a long time. Like, if you charge this, it will last you several uses before you need to recharge it as well, which I find very interesting. Did I mention this trimmer is waterproof too?
1: Beach, Mm -hmm. lake, or shower this razor will devour even the strongest pubes. <laughs> And once you have the perfect haircut, you can use Manscaped's liquid formulations to keep that freshness, even at the hottest summer barbecues. Most importantly, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant to stay cool in the heat with a soothing aloe vera formula. It's the best in the business for below-the-waist freshness, and this clear-drying formula will keep looking good while smelling good.
0: Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers, which I wear quite often. They're very... Very comfortable. And the Shed Travel Bag, wearing sandals with some nasty toenails during the summer months. Take a look at the Shears 2.0 a luxury nail grooming kit. This kit includes stainless steel nail cutters, tweezers, and grooming scissors. So with the Performance Package 4.0, your balls will
1: be ready to impress, but make sure you cover the rest with the Shears 2.0. So how do you go from Imperious Rexy to Imperious Sexy? Go to Manscaped.com now. Get 20% off, plus free shipping with the code WIZARDS20 at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off, plus free shipping with the code wizards20 at manscaped.com it's smooth sack summer geeks get on board or get left behind all right well why don't you take us into our next piece here
2: Wizard reports on their third annual office costume contest, uh, showing off staffers dressed as various comic icons. Highlights include a group costume featuring the likes of Brian Cunningham, Andrew Carden, and Mike Fazolo dressed up as the new Teen Titans, while Pat McCallum portrays their nemesis, Deathstroke the Terminator, Inquest editor Mike. Oh my God, Inquest. (laughs) I I just had a a flashback. Because obviously I subscribed to the Duelist as soon as that became a thing, which nobody remembers or should remember. But like when magic started to become a thing, which is the coast had their own magazine. And then when Inquest came out, it was, you know, like the wizard version of that. And oh, the deep nerdiness. I just I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got sidetracked. That was intense. (laughs) It's been a minute since that word is across my brain. He was decked out as the Swamp Thing, while Steve Blackwell and his wife dressed up as Zan and Jaina, the Wonder Twins. Any other favorites that stick out? Ooh, I don't understand what this one is, and it may just be a bad scan, but there's uh, Toy Fair copy editor Tom, Walrus Moe, Tom Root. Oh, Tom Root from
1: uh, Robot uh, Chicken. Robot yeah. Chicken. Why is he dressed up in blackface? So I think the scan I sent you is not great. I tried to send you an updated better one because when I looked at it first, I'm like, why is he an alien Homer Simpson? That's what I see. But what he's supposed to be is from Star Wars, the walrus man action figure and that yeah so it's like a deep cut again like it says here toy fair copy editor right he's deep (laughs) in the action figure world and they love their kenner star wars wizard so that's what he was going for trying to get the points (laughs) i I get that and
2: yeah like 30 years later it doesn't read quite the same that's not on him but
1: it is it's not a great look. In my scan, it looks more green. And so I okay. think that's that's the okay. issue, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I will say for me, the one that stands out, and it wouldn't have if I hadn't just, in our recent episode prior to this, in episode 77, they named their favorite things in comics in 97, and the best new character was Dog Welder from Hitman Comics, who was a character who was literally welding dogs to bad guys' faces. That was his gimmick. <laughs> and Jim McLaughlin is dressed as dog welders so i think it's very clear who pushed that through to the best new character category
2: <laughs> uh yeah you know what there are some excesses in the 90s that you just gotta let it be, <laughs> let it be. nobody's gonna be making dog welders today but uh it was a heady magical time uh, Bill Clinton was in the White House he was playing saxophone in places he shouldn't be and everybody got to do what they wanted to do.
1: Including Wizard in these costumes which I gotta say I'm always impressed by the Wizard staffer costumes because many of them could have just as easily been entered in their annual Halloween costume contest and won. Like they do a pretty good job on a lot of these so. Alright now our next piece here is 101 little known comic book facts you can't live without. Now when I saw that title like this is just, it's a random trivia article. They're just going to throw it out there. But as far as I can tell, it borrows its name from a catalog that I had as a kid. It was something called Things You Never Knew Existed and Can't Possibly Live Without. It's okay. like, it was a sharper image catalog for kids. It had like pranks and oh, novelty items and all the, all the silly stuff.
2: Yeah. You know? yeah. And
1: so I loved it. And so seeing this, I'm like, huh, they must have been familiar with it. But yo, know, there are 101 we don't have time for that, but I, I have a few that stood out to me. So do you want to kick us off?
2: Well, I'll tell you what, I will I will start out right at the top because oh, yeah. the first Marvel mutant is Namor the Submariner. I've been a, a longtime fan of Namor or Namor, I guess is how they call it now. <laughs> yeah. uh, that The new uh, MCU Namor I had, at first I was... I was torn because I'm like, okay, it's pretty much the only Asian superhero, you know, for like 40, 50 years. There's like a sunfire, but like it's, that's just a real gimmicky character. And then you get Jubilee and the weirdness that was Psylocke. But like, for me, like Namor was like from literally the beginning of Marvel when it was Timely Comics. I'm like, yeah, it's like an Asian superhero. That's my guy. So, uh, yeah, then when, it, you know, they... Sort of like, I guess retconned it, or it's just like as a technicality. He was like a mutant. Like, cool, man. That's great. I'm already an X Men fan. So, yeah, yeah. I love that.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I, a lot of people probably didn't consider that at the time. Uh, one thing that, again, I don't, unless you were reading real deep into Avengers and Avengers, you know, spin off miniseries, you didn't know, as they state here, I said Hawkeye is partially deaf. <laughs> So doing a little bit of a gag there. But they say, to override the sonic mind control device of the villain Crossfire, Hawkeye put the head of one of his sonic arrows in his mouth, drowning out the machine and enabling him to defeat the villain. Unfortunately, it cost the archer part of his hearing. He since had to wear hearing aids in both ears. And as somebody who is partially deaf and has to wear hearing aids, that's one that appealed to me. Because I was just like, wow. And I didn't realize that until the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. It wasn't something that connected with me and they played that but i was like oh that's awesome
2: yep yep one of many reasons why i really like the mcu tv stuff and of course everybody who's in charge is like nope we're getting rid of the too much tv all this is all terrible we need to just be making movies i'm like no because you get the really interesting stories that we don't get to see on the big screen there's not going to be anything about hearing impaired superhero in the next avengers cosmic whatever so.
1: yeah and i think they're doing like a full spin-off of echo i think she's getting her yeah. own series at some point so yeah. that's awesome uh, so the next one was supposed to be 12 fyi I, I i transposed i had the 21 but it's supposed to be 12 so don't care i'm doing
2: number nine hulk smash Sun. <laughs> Uh, originally boosh banner would change into the hulk at sunset and return to human form at dawn um obviously so many things have changed from the beginning of the incredible hulk the fact that he was sort of like in a, a werewolf uh sort of anti-vampire kind of thing at the beginning sort of makes sense because all of the superheroes were just like sort of like weird half knockoffs of other things that already existed and eventually became their own but um it's kind of fun sometimes to look back and
1: like man that was Hokey as hell. Yeah, that's some crazy ideas. So this one here, naked, triple X, all nude. Uh, This one just cracked me up because this is a fantastic four story featuring She-Hulk that uh, John Byrne put together. And the premise of it, as it explains here, TJ Vance, publisher of the girly magazine, The Naked Truth, got his grubby paws on photos of She-Hulk sunbathing topless. But strangely enough, when the pictures were published, no one recognized the green-skinned She-Hulk. That's because Vance neglected to tell the printers the pics were of Shulky. The printers thought the green skin was a mistake so they changed their skin color to white. That has to be based in some sort of reality in the printing of comics where characters, you know, maybe like they didn't understand like what they're supposed to look like. So there've been printing errors. And he's like, that would be hilarious. That's a good plot point. We can work that in.
2: I am almost certain that the original Hulk, he was gray. And I think that was because it was a, a printer error. It was supposed to be green and they screwed it up. So like that is another wonderfully self-referential thing that they have in She-Hulk. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm going to jump on a number 28. Ugh, the new universe really happened. <laughs> Look, I understand the new universe didn't hit on all cylinders. It was not the greatest thing ever. It was a product of the excesses of the gym shooter era. And, you know, like that sort of thing wouldn't happen today but you know what i was a kid when it happened and the idea that like it was basically a whole new thing that i could get in on the ground floor was awesome and some of those characters still are pretty great so the fact that like they sort of technically made it part of the multiverse or whatever you know what if we want to go and uh have kang just pop into the new universe real quick say hi night mask and then disappear i will be a happy (laughs) happy person
1: yeah whenever they finally bring sleepwalker into the mcu then he and nightmask could meet in the dream <laughs> realm at some point <laughs> I, think. I i like dp7 that's my D- new D- universe F- title was my jam yeah that
2: was my favorite one because yeah because i was like into the x-men i'm like what here's like air quotes please real x-men
1: <laughs> ah, love them love him. yeah that was that was cool all right uh next one here wonder woman had a press agent i just love that statement and it says here upon arriving on man's world princess diana hired pr hound mindy mayer as her publicist to explain her mission to bring peace mayer in return trademarked the ww symbol and produced amazon bracelets as fashion accessory for children she also granted licenses to manufacturers to create wonderware licensed to comic book and helped create the wonder woman foundation a charitable organization what i love about this because they're saying this is like the post crisis on Infinite Earths. This is the second series that this happened. Is that there was that Wonder Woman pilot? I don't know if you've seen it. That never got off the ground with yeah. Adrian palicki as yeah. Wonder Woman, and and oh. she had like triple secret identities. It was really strange. But that's what it was. Like the premise was she had a corporation, she had branded herself, she had done all these things, and so I just find that fascinating. That like was it pulled from the comics or was it just obvious? Like if you were a superhero, you had that high a profile file you would do this ultimately
2: i am so glad that adrian palicki got another chance another shot at the superhero apple got to play mockingbird in agents of shield because uh yeah she's super talented and like to get saddled with a pilot like that oof, it was rough it was I'm going to go with this number 46, Never Trust a Blind Guy. Matt Murdoch once persuaded his friends Foggy Nelson and Karen Page that he wasn't Daredevil by pretending that Dee, Dee was really his own fictional twin brother, Mike Murdoch. Look, it's the oldest sitcom trope. It's the oldest... I mean, like, literally, when Shakespeare was writing sitcoms back in the 16th century, he did that multiple times. Yeah, you know, Twins, and you don't know which one it is. It's great and terrible and... Oh, I, yeah, you, you got to eventually, you got to have some idiots going like, oh yeah, I'll buy it. There's a secret twin brother that you never knew. <laughs> well,
1: I just, I see him the same place. That's what I want to know. And I, I feel like I want to read it only because did he pretend to be sighted or did he say he was also blind? Did it say there? Cause like, like, it feels like that's like the joke you would play. It's like, oh, well, I'm very different. Cause I could see, cause he could technically yep. see. So mm-hmm. Alright, uh, next one here is Do superheroes have health insurance? <laughs> this is another post-crisis on Infinite Earths. This is with The Flash. It says, due to a severe storm, St. Mary's Children Hospital in Manhattan asked Flash to deliver a heart to a transplant patient in Seattle. Flash agreed, but pointed out that the hospitals on both ends were being paid big bucks for the organ in operation. Concerned that his health was deteriorating, Flash got the hospitals to give him medical coverage in return for his being on call whenever they needed him him and i'm like that is a great deal <laughs> that's just smart thinking wow I, <laughs> the stories that can only
2: happen under capitalism <laughs> real sad this probably happened like uh, uh before we had a real healthcare crisis in the united yeah. states
1: so the, you gotta read 66 this one is tailor-made
2: 100 just my eyes grazed over number 63 superman porno star and you know what <laughs> I don't need that in my life. (laughs) Thing, after temporarily quitting the Fantastic Four, The Thing turned to the only other useful job he could. Useful should be in quotes. It's not, but what are you going to do? Professional wrestling. But being a superpowered wrestler just wouldn't be fair to the plain old human wrestlers. So The Thing joined the Unlimited Class Wrestling Federation, which only employed wrestlers with superhuman strength. I don't know when this happened, but if it was probably any time before, like 96 or 98, they're going to pretend like professional wrestling is real. And it's so hard to read those kind of stories where you just have to suspend your disbelief. And it was before Ultimate Fighting, so you couldn't have had a, yeah, mixed martial arts with superhuman strength, which would be kind of neat.
1: Yeah, I I will tell you it was 100% the buzz of the WWF was growing. The promoter, the guy, his name is Vance McKay. Oh you can't boy. tell me that isn't oh Vince boy. McMahon. But, uh, but I I actually read these back in the day. I pulled these for back issue bids cuz it was like cuz it's right after Secret Wars and then it happens during oh, Secret Wars okay. 2. He has a crossover where he has to wrestle the Yeah. <laughs> No, so I, and then like Sharon Ventura, who is one of the female wrestlers, she becomes a thing later on because they start dating. She's the uh, Miss Marvel. She takes that name on for a while. Like okay. she actually gets superpowers to be in the Unlimited Class uh, Wrestling Federation. So, yeah, it, it was a wild, like, I think it was only like seven or eight issues of his series, but it was really fun uh secret wars and secret
2: wars 2 are two
1: of my favorite
2: series i love the beyonder even more i love molecule man oh uh, yes i kind of disappeared but uh like the thing he had with his girlfriend weirdly my favorite stories back in the day when i was just all about like super pumped up uh, uh superheroes and stuff were like the weird little romances psylocke before she was asian was a british woman who was in love with Cypher, and the age difference, kind of a skeevy. I think she was technically his teacher, so, like, not great. But also, like, absolutely, you dream of falling in love with a teacher who's like a hot psychic.
1: Why not? Oh, just a couple more here. Uh, This one, Swamp Thing's a drug dealer. This is in Hellblazer number 63. At John Constantine's 40th birthday party, Swamp Thing made a brief appearance, giving his old friend an interesting birthday gift. He used his powers to turn a small marijuana plant into an enormous one. (laughs) That's not drug dealing. That
2: is someone, that is a horticulturalist. How dare they?
1: Well, the funniest part is I I, I read this and that he actually asked him to dry it out for them so that it just actually <laughs> is okay, ready you know to what? go. That
2: kind yeah. of cro- crosses the line. I'll give you that. Uh, number 87 is J stands for jerk. Ever wonder just what the heck the J in Daily Bugle publisher J. Jonah Jameson's name stands for wonder no more because it stands for... Uh, Jay, according to spider-man group editor cater ralph Macchio, it never really stood for anything and it never will that is unfortunate <laughs> uh that is uh yeah honestly i am so very underwhelmed by that you had 50 60 years to figure out something like jonah how about jonah jonah jameson that'd be awesome <laughs> james jonah jameson or julio jonah jameson you could do literally anything and you went with jay
1: well and it's the same with the simpsons homer jay simpson jay that was revealed in an episode so they. that's fine that's funny (laughs) jay is
2: great uh j period not great not great being said i used to use that as one of my writing pseudonyms so it was j period current That's awesome.
1: But it's done for something. So, I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, I've actually... I had another one selected, but I think I'm going to cap us off with this because... We have Secret Invasion going on right now on Disney+, and in the Captain Marvel movie, we saw how Nick Fury lost his eye, according to the MCU. But here, they say a furious eye in Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, number 27. So how'd Nick Fury lose his eye? Well, back in the Nazi fight days of World War II, Sergeant Fury caught a live grenade in his bare hands. He tossed it back, but the grenade exploded as Fury let go of it, lodging a piece of shrapnel in his eye. The doctors could repair his eye but the operation would have kept Fury out of action for about a year. So Fury refused, and instead his vision gradually deteriorated to the point where his left eye was useless.
2: I'm super into that. (laughs) I'm not much of a war uh, comic guy, and like Sergeant Fury and all that business
1: doesn't do it for me, but yeah. Dude's hardcore. I'm into it. It's pretty great. All right. Well, speaking of all those Marvel productions, uh, they are still, you know, making some money at the box office, still getting some eyes on them. But we want to check out what was making it to the big screen, or at least planned to at this time. So we're going to check out our Heroes in Motion.
2: The trailer park section of Wizard 78 announces that the Witchblade TV series has received a 22 episode order from Warner Brothers domestic television distribution. However, the lead role of Sarah Pizzini has yet to be cast. Wizard decided to pull their AOL users. <laughs> Uh, No, uh, that's fine. It's fine. AOL was the thing that we used back then uh, to find out who they thought should wield the Witchblade in syndication. Baywatch co-stars and Hollywood twins Yasmin Bleeth and Carmen Electra nearly tied with Bleeth winning by 1%, but in actuality, Electra was in third place as Bleeth had actually tied with Wizard's Dark Horse entry of Tim Curry since he had shown some skin in the Rocky Horror Picture show. (laughs)
1: they just had to make it silly you know
2: i mean here's the thing i would literally watch tim curry in anything that man is amazing and never had a bad role he's been in bad movies he has never been in a bad role
1: no he makes the most of it he knows how that goes for sure did you ever did you have any interest in witchblade or the witchblade tv series did it like pass by you in any way it just
2: missed that window when i was like I need to see like nearly naked women in my comic books that also have giant swords and or blades and or uh pointy bits in a completely impractical costume design. So Witchblade <laughs> just missed me completely. Did yeah. they ever
1: make this show? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it got a TV movie pilot and then they did the full season. I think it maybe actually gotten two seasons now that I recall. So did- it lasted just not long. <laughs> Did the poor girl get to wear clothes? Well, that was the big difference. She never had the costume. She just wore, like, street clothes that a cop would wear and had the gauntlet. What's the point of a witch blade? A (laughs) hundred (laughs)
2: percent.
1: Yeah, it was an actress named Yancy Butler is the one who got, you know, hired to play the role, and she was just, like, hardcore tough chick, and that was her deal, so. Eh, You know what? I don't hate that. I mean, it still sounds terrible, but... (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) But speaking of a series I didn't know got made, another comic book was being adapted to syndication in the form of The Crow, Stairway to Heaven. Now, we have talked about The Crow previously, but he earned a 22-episode order as well. Now, surprisingly, though, this was a reimagining of the Eric Draven story, where his deceased girlfriend Shelly is now in the role of a guardian angel who acts as his owl from Quantum Leap, basically, guiding him to each new weekly adventure, helping to earn his salvation. So this is very different than the brandon lee movie did you watch it chan
2: i did not i remember it existing and saying like nope absolutely not and i feel that i was correct in that like i said like i was really emotionally affected by the original comic book so when they made the movie a little less emotion but like okay it's kind of cool there's some really cool stuff in it and then after that you're like oh you're just telling a story about a magical zombie oh and now you're gonna add some like weird little business to it yeah, um i am i'm 100
1: not on board with that yeah but. it's definitely a weird uh, idea but here's the thing so bob sanitski of polygram television adds a bit of hype to this he says quote the unique storyline and rock and roll soundtrack nope, separate nope, our nope, show nope, from nope. the pack
2: <laughs> absolutely not Absolutely not. In 1996, you do not say a rock and roll soundtrack and expect <laughs> anyone under the age of 60
1: to get on board with you. Yeah, there was just you, it need to be techno or bust. That's what I say. <laughs> uh, now, much like Witchblade, though, the lead role had not yet been cast at this time, but the part eventually went to a Brandon Lee lookalike, essentially, and martial artist extraordinaire in the B-movie realm, Mark decoscos mm-hmm. who also had appeared on an episode of the Flash TV series and was the Co-star of the live-action Double Dragon film that wasn't Scott Wolf. No, <laughs>
2: no, 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 no. None <laughs> of these matter. You are talking about the chairman of Iron Chef America. Oh. That's who Mark Dacascos is. <laughs> he did do one other cool thing. I forget what it was. I, I think he had a, uh, a short guest run in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or something. Oh, okay. That would cool. make sense. Like, Dude's cool. Cool as hell. And one episode of the Flash TV series that is that's not the pull for that man give him the <laughs> respect he deserves
1: it is for me i love that series so much all right take us into our next bit of business here in marvel news
2: captain america is slated to get an animated series as part of a saban entertainment deal with fox kids network to produce four animated series over a seven-year period they said that the avengers will be the next series developed in uh, and in fact avengers earth's mightiest heroes is produced instead of cap's solo animated adventures it's also reported that the live-action hulk movie set for release in 1999, it cast its villains, but still no Bruce Banner. Though Johnny Depp is in talks to Star. <laughs> oh, God bless the 90s. Oh, we're sweet summer children. <laughs> uh, additionally, Wizard can't believe that the syndicated Nightman series based on the Malibu Ultraverse character, oh my God, I did not realize that had happened. I do very clearly remember the Ultraverse and what idiot f. Ever- got a, a TV show made out of any of those uh, war. the, the character is now owned by Marvel it's getting decent ratings meanwhile the Time Cop TV series based on the Van Damme movie which was itself based on a Dark Horse comic series has been rightfully cancelled
1: yeah it's wild so here's the thing the whole Nightman series that costume is 100% just from the comics he's got a cape he's got armor he's got a a red eyepiece he's got long flowing hair he plays the saxophone in the moonlight and it was developed by Glenn Larson the guy who did Battlestar Galactica who who did Knight Rider you know and it's just like Mm -hmm. he thought this was a great idea for a television Mm -hmm. series I was like wow (laughs)
2: that makes sense we always need to clarify the original Original Battlestar Galactica. Yes, very different beast than uh, what it became, yep. and it is very much of its time, which is <laughs> fine. Also, Nightman no longer means uh, Malibu anymore. I did collect all of the Malibu Ultraverse when they first came out because they had a deal where, like, you got a stamp from each one so that you could get like some send away thing. Yeah. Also, Jim Starlin did one of the series, and. He's one of my all time favorite comic creators. However, in 2023, the only Nightman reference that works is the one from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So if you're not singing Nightman and Dayman right now, then you need to educate yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Educate yourself.
1: All right. Now, Of course, the long three-year tease of the promised Gen 13 animated movie continues in this issue as writer, producer, director, Kevin Altieri claims the direct-to-video film will be ready by the beginning of 1998. The instrumental score has reportedly been recorded in Prague. And final dialogue.
2: (laughs) Guys, we got the score done in East Europe. Trust me, it's going to be a banger.
1: Oh, they traded some jeans for it. That's how they paid for that. Final dialogue has been recorded by the actors, which included Mark Hamill, who plays the villain Threshold in the movie, and he recounts of recording with rock star Flea, who plays Grunge in the movie, quote, I was okay. dying to ask him for Jane's Addiction tickets, but how tacky is that? So I decided not to, and I just bought the tickets. No,
2: Luke Skywalker <laughs> asks you for anything you say yes. Flea would in a
1: heartbeat have gotten tickets for that man. I bet. Ugh. Uh, Now, Altieri also teases that the film could spin off into an animated TV series, but says he's been focusing on completing the movie first, which he gets it done. It just never gets released. That's the sad part. Disney buries it. Yeah. Does it exist? It exists. It's it's online. You can find the full movie on YouTube. But yeah, it was just like this weird Disney ended up buying the rights and then said, we're not releasing this. Very strange. They were right, weren't they? Well, it's not terrible, but it's not great. Okay. (laughs) Okay. But Gen 13, does that name mean anything to you?
2: I recognize it, and I recognize it as something that I did not touch with a 10-foot pole. It was an image thing, yeah? Yeah. And it was basically just another team mutant type thing.
1: Yeah. So it's like young mutant kids, and basically they're on the run from the government groups that are after them and all that kind of stuff that constantly being sent. And I just loved it because being a California kid, it took place in San Diego. And so, like, everything they were referencing is just like California lifestyle, you know? So I was just like, oh, and. The editor on the book was on Real World Miami on MTV. <laughs> Just the profile of the book was like, oh, you know, it's connected to the real world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it ended up where it deserved to be. <laughs> um, no shade. I'm sure it was a perfectly fine comic book, but never had any interest. And as soon as you say direct video, I'm like, oh, OK, I know exactly where we are, what the deal with this thing is. And I hope Mark Hamill got paid. I'm That's sure he did. About. Finally, in news of comics that would eventually be turned into blockbuster films, Miller goes ancient for new title, reports that famed creator of Sin City will create a limited series called 300, telling the story of the 300 Spartans who held back King Xerxes' Persian army at Thermopylae in 480 BC. According to Dark Horse editor Diana Schultz, it's a project that he's wanted to do for a long, long time. He decided that now is the right time to do it. Finally, a story that like we can look back on and go like, all right, that turned out OK, basically. Yeah. People like, liked it.
1: Big success. And there you go. Teeny bit racist, but also look pretty cool. One of Zack Snyder's better films, I guess people sure. would say. It's a mighty low bar. But you know what? <laughs> well, here's the thing. You know, you mentioned Image and we got to check in on a couple of the Image founders here in our regular segment, Jim and Todd's Hype Machine. So the buzz box in this issue reports that the creators of Magic the Gathering, there you go, Chan, are negotiating Mm -hmm. with Jim Lee to produce a new card game comic combo called C23, which was actually released just a few months after this report. So that came out. Uh, Now, you mentioned Magic. Were you into Magic Full Force then?
2: Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> people still try and drag me in every once in a while because, you know, like people who didn't play back in the day are like, oh, yeah, I just heard about this thing and I tried to play it. It's really cool. You should try it. I'm like, no, because I can't afford it because it is more virulent than a coke addiction. You start buying those cards. Then you start buying boxes. Then you start buying cases. And I was buying cases of cards back when I Wow. I've been spending money on cases of magic cards. Oh my goodness. I love Magic the Gathering dearly. I think the IP is great and the game itself is fantastic. I still do play a lot of uh, trading card games and I played a lot of different ones back in the day. The fact that I have never heard of C23
1: does not speak well of it at all. I've never heard of the comic either. So I think this is just one of those. This is almost... Ghibli was just about to sell his studio to DC Comics. So I think mm. this is just one of those last ditch efforts. Can we get a new sensation? But I do have to ask... Where did you play? Were you playing privately with friends mostly? Or did you go to comic book stores, gaming stores, conventions? Like, where were you getting in your game time on Magic? I
2: was playing at comic book stores. Played enough to be a judge for
1: a time. Oh.
2: Certified by Watsy. And then, you know, just kind of fell by the wayside. And then sort of kept it up playing privately. Tried to do it online for a little bit and stopped. There's a game nowadays called Magic the Gathering Puzzle Quest. Hmm. which is a combination uh, match three game with some magically gathering mechanics they use cards like contemporary cards and it really fun really great game love it and that's sort of my speed nowadays because i can like look you know what i'm gonna spend 15 dollars a month on this i'm gonna get my money's worth and then that's it we stop we don't go any further <laughs> we, do not, we do not buy cases that's bad,
1: bad, learned bad. your lesson oh that's great mm. now there is also in this issue a large ad for wizard world 1998 and it announces todd mcfarlane as the guest of honor and i will say last year in the, the first year that they owned the wizard world convention uh they had frank miller as their guest of honor so that's what you do you want the big star to come in they're the guest of honor but did you go to conventions chan was that in of any sort whether it was comics or gaming or anything else really wanted
2: to always remember seeing them happening lived in california grew up uh, for like 10 years in washington state and so around that time i think was when uh, um comic-con in san diego first started being a big thing and i was like too young and too poor to like go down there so it was just like this far off dreamland that oh god someday i'm gonna go to comic-con it'd be amazing and then yeah eventually moved back to california was way poorer so just like Just couldn't even do it. Couldn't even drive down to San Diego before it was a big deal. Ended up finally going much later when I was uh, an entertainment journalist and I got paid to go down there and cover stuff and whatnot like that, which was ideal for the circumstance because we were in the Hall H era where you would have to line up like all night and all that sort of thing. And so I had a press pass and whoop. Like popped right in there and it was amazing. I'm like, I absolutely would not do this if I had to wait in line for 30 hours. That's insane. But like, like I always wanted to do the conventions and I finally got to do them and they're really cool. And
1: I'm probably not gonna do anymore
2: because they're
1: <laughs> pain in the ass. Yeah, they are—they are an overwhelming experience. I—I'm amazed. Like I have a lot of friends who just—they live for the conventions, and especially like comic book people. that are just like, I love the community of a convention. I'm like, but the, the crowds—it's pretty intense. Like I went to San Diego Comic Con in '97. That was it. Like I didn't go back after that. But it's still uh, a, a wild, wild experience for anybody that goes now. That's for sure. Speaking of Todd McFarlane, though, the toy chest section reveals the first look at Spawn: the movie playsets from McFarlane Toys. Reportedly hitting stores in January 1998, the movie settings included the graveyard, the alley, and the final battle, a.k.a. a suburban living room. I'm curious, you, you, you're spending all this money on Magic the Gathered cards. Did you ever get into collecting the McFarlane figures?
2: I did not. I burned out on all of the image artists, almost all of them. And so by that time, I was like completely over McFarlane style And, you know, like, cool, you've got action figures of a style that I'm not fond of. Also, they're crazy expensive and yeah, really great quality. But I had no interest all these years later, as much as I got into the figures market, are Funkos. Like, you know, just keep it simple. Like, these are cute, and we're done with it.
1: Yeah, I I was never a McFarlane guy either, except, you know, the listeners have heard me mention this many times, but I was a big Kiss fan. So when he released Uh, the Kiss action figures, I'm buying those. He does the Kiss comic book. I'm buying that, you know, so he got my money that way
2: uh yeah like no again no shade on the quality of his product they were really good just not my cup of tea
1: also mentioned as we close out here are a set of spawn playing cards a deck of 52 and two joker cards illustrated by greg capullo and then a set of spawn archives chromium cards which are basically enhanced versions of the first 50 covers of the spawn comic book trading cards now you're playing games but did you ever get the trading cards for collecting value Before
2: trading card games, I was collecting trading cards. Uh, Like back in high school, I like bought binders and put the cards in or collecting them just like pack at a time. It's, you know, as a kid, like your brain just wants to collect, have, have, have. (laughs) Uh, And hopefully you get over that. Sometimes it comes back because... Yeah, like uh, I got back into trading cards for a while when I worked at a uh, bookstore that also sold trading cards. For some reason, I got into basketball cards. (laughs) Like, uh, I like basketball. There's no reason I should have been spending money on basketball cards. (laughs) And yet here we are, had a whole bunch of them, don't know what happened to them, because why would I, at my age, still need that? But, like, people still do it,
1: and... God bless them. So so what was your main focus and set? Were you getting movie cards? Or are you getting, like, the comic book-based cards? Like, in high school, when you're really grabbing them, what was your number one? Looney Tunes. Oh. Looney Tunes
2: had, like, sets. And they're just, like, like uh, shots from cartoons and, like, the characters and... The, there was a time, like in the early 90s, there where hey, uh, I grew up on them. Mm-hmm. The merry melodies like, are a seminal part of uh, my comedic sensibilities growing up. And then for a brief time, they were super popular, like Taz and Bugs Bunny were like decked out in hip hop gear yep. and break dancing. And it was the worst. But I mean, it was a thing. <laughs>
1: i was just watching this movie from 1994 called jimmy hollywood it is joe pesci and christian slater it is the strangest pairing and there was a scene in there where they're walking down like melrose or something and this guy this extra just goes past him and he has like it's bugs buddy taz daffy duck in their hip-hop and i was like this guy's my hero i remember this moment in time and i put it up on my twitter people were just like ah yes i had those shirts and everybody's sharing all the shirts they had <laughs> uh-huh. marvin the martian i like 12 Marvin the Martian shows. Oh, Marvin the Martian. <laughs> all right. Now, Chad, here's the thing about this segment. Since the beginning of the podcast, we have been counting every time Jim Lee and Todd McFarlane's names have been mentioned. Okay, so we keep a tally. We have a running tally going. All right. <laughs> so in this issue, Jim Lee was mentioned five times. Todd McFarlane was mentioned just three times, which brings our running total to Jim Lee 467. <laughs> <laughs> Tod McFarland 440. <laughs> that
2: is amazing.
1: But hey, they give us some laughs every once in a while, Wizard magazine. We're hoping we're going out strong here. So we are going to check out Turox Top 10. Top 10 lists, uh, I will tell you, as with much comedy from the 90s, don't always age well, Chan. We're going to see where this takes us here. This topic they've given us, the top 10 New Year's resolutions, Wizard Blue in 1997. So this is kind of focused on, uh, you know, the staffers. What did they do wrong? What did they not follow through on? So why don't you start us out with number 10?
2: Number 10, don't swipe anything when we visit Tommy and Pamela Lee's house. And if we do, don't post it on the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did you watch that series at all when it came out? I did not. Oh. I heard it was pretty good. Yeah, know, actually it actually was. Like, I love Sebastian Stan. So, like, okay, I, I could do it. Yeah, but Seth Rogen was great. Yeah, so it was pretty funny. Now, next one right here, number nine. Hey, it might work for us, too. If we can't say anything nice about Rob Liefeld, don't say anything at all. But man, that fighting American sucks. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't wish his
2: life on anyone. But also, I have complicated feelings about Rob Liefeld
1: we all do <laughs> he forces us to have complicated feelings you can't <laughs> even be nice to him he will turn on you it just happened
2: <laughs> it's kind of like carrot tub. like you shouldn't have to have him in your consciousness and yet therapist this
1: for some reason
2: uh number eight keep magic the gathering tournaments off espn2 at all costs and i will tell you what Man, I still wouldn't mind if Magic the Gathering competitive MTG like somehow broke into the mainstream. There are worse and stupider things out there that
1: ESPN could be wasting its time on. I mean, esports are a thing. It just feels like that I- tabletop gaming, it should be also right there next to it. So thank you. I mean, they do
2: need to like ratchet up the shit talking, I think, maybe like in a wrestling kind of way. Well,
1: I will tell you, I, I was gonna ask you and I-, I didn't. I actually saw two guys playing magic in a comic book shop when I was a kid who got into a fist fight, like a hockey fight, like pulling each other's shirts. Try- Have you seen that many okay. times? Okay, look. <laughs> look. <laughs> When
2: I say in a professional wrestling way, you are almost certainly aware of who would win. They take the idea of conflict and sort of make it kind of fun. We know that we're not being serious about it. And my God. As much as I enjoy magic, the last thing in the world you should ever get into a fistfight about, the last thing you should ever pin any sort of emotional value on is a game of cards. (laughs) No, 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 no. It is the most disappointing thing you can do with your life aside from penciling X-Force.
1: Oh, we got sorry,
2: it. Did I? Oh, boy. I'm sorry. I didn't even mean to slip that. All
1: right. Number seven. Release our backlog of 50,000 copies of Turok number one into the marketplace, sending prices spiraling down from 15 cents to 14 cents.
2: Was this actor? I remember when. Was it Archer Comics? Are uh, you thinking of Valiant or? Uh. No, I'm thinking Archer and Armor. Thank you, Valiant. Yeah, Archer and Armstrong for some reason slipped in there. Yeah, there was a time when they were like the hot deal and they were super expensive. Was this then after
1: that? Yeah. Or, so so uh, this is like six, seven years later, and at Valiant doesn't even exist. They became acclaimed comics during this time. They were right. bought by the video game company and kind of changed their line and the focus. So yeah, it's but that was definitely when Wizard launched. It was Valiant and Image. Those were the two big like. new New kids on the block that were competing and image ultimately won and ballot kind of stuck around but didn't last.
2: That's a shame. Number six, eat right, exercise, lose two inches off our waist, date more often. Oh, self-deprecating humor. That <laughs> 2023, that would definitely be an incel saying that with real, real snark.
1: That's how that goes. Yeah. Number five, remove unlimited bar tab privilege from Jim McLaughlin, who is uh, their jack of all trades at the magazine there. Yeah. Eat. Number four, pound more duck. What do we think that means? Is that eating like Chinese food, like eating Peking duck? Like they're going to pound it. They're going to. Yeah, man. Ooh. I
2: think there's a, a cheap alcohol called cold duck. Maybe they mean just like drink cheap wine or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, some of these, they're a little dead. It's hard to get through. All right. yeah.
1: <laughs> Leave uh, it
2: for archaeologists a
1: thousand years from now to try and figure it out. Absolutely. Number three, stop eating the brains of lost children. <laughs>
2: That's a reference to like a specific movie of some kind.
1: Yeah. Gotta be. But again, I, yeah I can't place that one.
2: Number two, gently but firmly remind DC that theme annuals and universe-spanning crossovers really suck. So yeah, Pulp Heroes and Genesis were our fault. We're going to hell. Look, like I said, that's one of the reasons why I got out of comics. Uh, and we shouldn't pin that all on DC because Marvel was my jam at the time. So
1: yeah, yeah, they popularized it, that's for sure. And I will say, like, we just posted a little Twitter poll and we asked for like, what is the thing that makes you drop a book the most, we're like, change in artist, change in writer, just a stupid plot point. But a lot of people just commented, "Wait, you left off huge company-wide crossover that interferes mm. with the story, and then I'm just out of here." It's like, okay. Yeah, But the number one New Year's resolution that Wizard blew in 1997, fiber. Lots more fiber. They had plans to be more regular, didn't work out.
2: Look, I've never had a problem pooping, so (laughs) I don't know what that's all about. I guess I just eat enough fiber normally
1: kudos i say thank you yes but there you go end it with a poop joke that's how you're gonna finish off your year-end blockbuster thank you wizard staying on brand for sure but hey speaking of the brand robert clark chan where can people connect with you online where can they listen to your opinions your ideas your podcasts
2: Oh, wow. Well, uh, if you're into professional wrestling, more specifically AEW, All Elite Wrestling, you should check out a podcast called AE Doubleback, where uh, along with uh, my friends Calder Holbrook and Teresa Gumprecht, we just talk about this week's uh, AEW Dynamite, and it's a real fun hang. It's not uh, anything intense, and we're certainly not the smartest people in the world, but you know. We enjoy things, and we hope you do too. There's knowing is half the podcast, which is a podcast they do with Race DeCanis and Gina Ippolito, and we just watch old cartoons and see how they age. And most of them, spoiler, don't age great. (laughs) Um, Like if you have a weird memory of a cartoon, like that you saw once when you were a little kid, and have no idea, you know, what it is or whatever. Like, listen up, and we might actually uh, do it if you're thinking of something. um, Google it and see if if we've done an episode because we have done. Hundreds, hundreds of episodes and covered a lot of different stuff.
1: And I will say one of their patrons just suggested the Visionaries cartoon, which was adapted as a Marvel comic. That's a great episode. If you never heard their show, jump on that one because that was interesting. They strangely sort of liked it, even though it was totally bonkers. (laughs) Sometimes they do okay, And it's weird.
2: Yeah, we're not we're not there to like trash things like we generally go in and like say, okay, show me what you got. And uh, some stuff. The old Sunbow writers were real strong and they slipped in a lot of really interesting ideas amidst all of the dreck that they had to, you know, like to sell toys. And check out uh, who would win. It's a fun show, like I said, where uh, they they take two like nerd culture characters and then put them into a fight. They do a lot of research and you know, like try and determine who would actually win in a fight between these two characters, in addition to like uh, running some of the back end for them. I also do a little thing called Thunderdome the uh Patreon community and if you're you know like um chipping in like a couple bucks a month to see those we do a version of who would win with just crazy characters or you know like fun stuff because like I said I, I want to make this arguing thing fun fun no fist fights
1: just fun, fun. Fun. Oh, well, that's great. And speaking of fun, well, you know where to find us online right now. We're at Wizards Comics on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics on Instagram. And of course, we want you to get on over to the YouTube channel. Check out our content over there. Totally different from the podcast. So you can subscribe over there. Hey, speaking of Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics. You know what you get for your five bucks a month. You get scans of the issue. You get uncut early release episodes. The video feed of the episode. Hey, what? else how about some bonus podcasts our 90s super cinema series and just an inside track as to what's to come so many perks not the least of which is getting a personal shout out on each episode hey apologies for episode 77 we forgot to shout out our patrons but we're getting to you here because we got a lot of new kids joining up here we got isaac sahavi isaac so glad to have you evan bryant all the way from australia hello hello thank you gary hutcherson fernando pinto jeremy Daw, greg schuler mel Face Killa, Brian Acosta, Steve King, Gabe Bustamantez, Denim Jedi, Mitchell Hall, Lee Markowitz, Stephen Forshaw, Mickey and Jason at the Retro Network, our home, and finally, Mark McDonald. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and being part of our extended geek universe. But hey, until next time, keep your books bagged and boarded.